Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well in my house. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. The weather has stayed relatively dry. We've had some rain overnight, so it's been okay, actually. It is nice to see everything starting to look a little green, I must confess. Yeah, I was surprised. I think I'd almost forgotten it was August yesterday, particularly, because it was a little bit cloudy, and then suddenly it was blazing sunshine again. And I'm thinking, whoa, hang on, summer's back. It is a bit bizarre down by us. It actually is quite autumnal because leaves are starting to come off the trees. They've gone a bit brown where there's been a lack of water. So there you go. Anyway, it's episode 32 and it's the 28th of August. It certainly is. And oh, we're, it's the 29th of August, my mistake. It's the 29th of August. The weeks are flying by and we're almost, and we'll talk about it in our news and rumors section, we're almost at a new Apple event as well. Yeah, that has come around quick. We've had a bit of a, I think, a stale summer. But actually, I was going to say this to you, actually, there's quite a lot of stuff coming out really recently. So on Friday, there was a new Muse album came up in Apple Music for me. And then there was a new Embrace album, which has been released. Previously, I'd had a couple of tracks off each one. As you know, they, they released the album or they announced the album's coming. You can play a couple of tracks. So quite, quite enjoyed that. And then next week, I think I've got the new Robert Galbraith book coming out on Audible. I pre-ordered that. I don't know if you've ever... I was going to say listened or read his works. Obviously, it's J.K. Rowling. But I love that. I've loved this this series, but I find they're a bit long for me to read. They would take me forever. So I do listen to them on Audible, which is a really good. And they're read by Robert Glenister, and he does a really good job. Oh, Gene Hunt himself. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah. Well, I've, I think I saw half of one of the TV shows, Something Strike, Cormorant Strike, something like yep. that. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. That's I the thought, main title character. I thought that's what happened if you drove your boat through bunch of seabirds <laughs> very good very good i didn't think the tv shows were as good as they could have been i think the books you know they're, they're a lot longer and obviously stuff's got to get left out but the I've, i really enjoyed the books and i like the way he reads them so looking forward to that and then i don't know if you've read the richard osmond books the the murder ones he's done in an old people's home but they're also coming out quite soon i think but towards the end of the month so it seems to be like the hiatus of summer is ending and the deluge of autumn is coming, and I'm not just talking about the weather and the rain, but um, some loads of really good stuff coming out. So for me, lo- loads of things I'm interested in, probably outside of what we usually talk about in the show. Yeah, we're probably verging into media a bit more. I-, I tell you what I didn't like about the Cormorant Strike thing is there had been a Jason Isaacs series set in Edinburgh not long before it called Case Histories. He was an ex-Edinburgh cop, you know, there was the, that, that sort of Scottish connection was there. And it did it far better. It showed Edinburgh in a far better light. It was more interesting and I thought it was more tightly written. And it starred Jason Isaacs. Hello, Jason Isaacs. So, you know, I think that's, that, that for me, that was maybe the, a poor knockoff for something I was more familiar with. I'm a little worried we're talking about a different show because the strike ones are set in London. Why am I thinking it's set in Edinburgh? <laughs> there is one where they, he does go to Edinburgh for a short piece of the film. That the might story. be why, that might be the one I caught. That might be the one I caught. I'm trying, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head uh, now, but it is one of the novels. And if you didn't thank you for giving me a get it as your free card so yeah but case histories with jason isaac's really good okay well, maybe i need to put that on my, i've got so much on my homework to watch yeah let's not let's not add to the homework should we dive into some follow-up yeah but this is tangentially related to follow-up because i broke my kindle oasis that you, i think we had previously discussed and you had bought a paper white i think when you went on holiday and i then went and bought a paper white because they're in amazon summer sale and because I broke my Oasis, it wasn't an on-write. I think I got too much water in it. it didn't, even though it says it's IPX68, it just is not working right. And I got a bit cheesed off with it. And I thought, I don't want to spend another £170 on one. because it's on, And that's the price on sale because they're normally about 230 So I bought a Paperwhite and it's turned up. And I shall say, it is a nice bit of kit. It's just really nicely made. It's got like a rubber back on it. It feels really tight and sealed. I haven't tried it in the water yet, but I will be. 
and it's USB-C, big tick. I just think it's a nice bit of kit. And I did buy the one without the adverts on it. I don't know about you. Yeah, so my Paperwhite is the same. It's quite well made. It feels very tight. It doesn't feel like it's going to get a lot of water into it. It's USB-C, the same. I got the black one. I got the one with the adverts. I think it's an official Amazon case, rather worryingly. Yeah, something peeled off it almost immediately. I like very iPad-like. When you close the cover, there's obviously a magnet on it. That When you open the cover again, it turns on which previous Kindles I've had haven't done that. So that was new for me. I don't know if the Oasis does the same thing. Never really bought a cover for it. I usually just have like a little pocket to slide in so I don't scratch the screen. One thing I do like with the Kindle though is it does show the cover of the book you're reading now. I think that was, a, it took them far too long to add that as a software update. But uh, what a nice bit of kit. And like I said, I love the latest USB-C because it's one less charger to take. But part of my reason for buying it is so I could read the new Richard Osman book on it. Yeah, it's obviously popular, that one. I saw a lot of people reading that on holiday on the way back. Yeah, half, half the world has read his books. He's done two, and the third one's coming out. I, the only thing I didn't like is in the second one, it goes, the third book is coming out on X, and it may even be September. But I just don't like it when, when you know the other one's coming. It's like, it'd be nice if you read the second one, you enjoy it for what it is, and then you six months later, you then get the news, oh, look, there's another one coming out. But yeah. it seems like he's tied into X number of books. Well, well that I was about to say, that's exactly, isn't it? You know, they sign a publishing deal for this number of books, and he'd obviously stopped doing Pointless, the quiz show he used to do on BBC One, so to give more time to write books, presumably, and be on Taskmasters, either as a full-time guest or just pop up now and then. So uh, I would yeah. imagine, though, that his writing career took off way bigger than anybody had anticipated, because he just became a, an author, like household sensation overnight. Yeah, I suppose he still has the House of Games TV show on BBC Two, doesn't he? He still does that one, I think. I don't watch a lot of regular telly, apologies. He's very funny. I could see him as like an almost the, the next Stephen Fry in waiting. He's kind of got that sort of aura around him of being, you know, knowledgeable and, and approachable and very tall, you know. And down to earth, he's good. And I've seen him actually at Literature Festival and I'm going to see if I can book to see him again this year. I think he's very good. He comes across really well, really personal. Yeah, very good. Well, you'll have to keep us updated how you get on with your uh, new Kindle. I quite like mine. I haven't read anything since I came back from holiday on it, so I should probably do something about that. But yeah, nice device. Um, uh, yeah, I'm mixing between paper books and Kindle books at the moment, so I've got a whole stack of stuff to read. So I'll keep you posted. Hopefully we'll survive the hot tub this time, unlike the last one. And let's just watch scope creep here, said the project manager, that we don't start doing book reviews as well, otherwise who knows where we'll end up. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, next up, Playdate. I just want to give a brief update. I've spoken about the Playdate before and I'm waiting for it and it's finally shipped and it's got a passport and a shipping label. And so hopefully wing its way to me in the next two weeks or so, so they claim. I hope it doesn't get lost. That's exciting. So one of the things that listeners may not know about the Playdate that I've since understood is that you you buy it and you is it a subscription or it comes with a season of games so they release Correct. games it comes for it with a season it comes with a season and and does it come with subsequent seasons as well or is that something you have to pay for the future they haven't really announced any of that yet so you buy the play date it comes with a season of games which get released to you over the next 10 weeks after you buy it. i think if memory serves and it's circa like two games a week and you get a couple straight off the bat you can then go and buy or download any free games. Annoyingly, they haven't really done a directory where you can just go, where are all the Playdate games? You've got to go and find them kind of thing and, and go to communities. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. You can make your own games. They provide all the tools for free. You can use them all as developer consoles in essence. And they've got different tools for different levels. So you can have somewhere you just script like a point and click adventure and you've got others where you can code the whole thing. So really looking forward to it. Hoping it comes because I've been wanting, I ordered it nearly a year ago. So it's been a long time coming. 
No, that's exciting. And like I said, I listened to a podcast where Mike on Upgrade was talking about it and what a great device it was and the way the Seasons of Games was releasing that, you know, you get two when you first get it and then you got to wait a couple of weeks or a week and you, and you get another two. And then he managed to drop and break his sort of at, at some point over the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, it's understandable. It can happen to any device. You can get your new iPhone and, uh, and drop it off the table. You can drive your car out a lot and total it. So, you know, it, it is one of those things you got to look out for. But, you no, know, I like the concept of the device, so I'm really quite interested to see how you get on with it, you know, over the next few weeks. Yeah, me too. It's probably, hopefully it'll work for me. I like quite simple games, so I'm quite looking forward to it. And I like the company Panic, so hopefully it'll be good. How's your three score now, anyway, speaking of simple games? Oh, I nearly beat it. I was 80 points off beating my high score. 80 points, which is nothing in threes. It's like torture. Well, well done for sticking to it for your 10-year-old-plus game. I think I'm a bit too addicted to it this time. It, uh, my last bit of follow-up, though, just moving on a little bit, was Google Meet randomly now says it's called Meet Original, and it's now part of Google Workspace, and they're doing something with GUI. And I was just completely confused. I use Google Meet very infrequently. But crumbs, it seems like Google have got a lot of meeting, duo, conversational, chatting applications. Not really much to say other than sounds really confusing from an outsider. Yeah, I mean, I think we reeled them off a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The sort of 10 concurrent messaging apps that Google have got ongoing at the moment. And, it, you know, we said at the time, their messaging strategy just seems so confused. And I, I clicked on the link in the show notes here. And it's putting an advert on the top right for the Google Pixel, which given my experience with the Google Pixel, I don't think I'd ever want to, 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 to think about that particularly. But yeah, they, they've, their messaging strategy needs sorting out. And it's interesting, they tried to sort it out and have immediately had to walk back a step. Yeah, very bizarre. It does actually make me quite grateful of Microsoft. They've basically done Teams and it replaced Skype for business. And this is how you move away. That's it. There's nothing else to talk about. So it does make me think that actually Microsoft managed it far better. Well, it would be hard to manage it worse, I think we could we could agree on. Yeah, fair point. But that, that was it for follow-up, so not, not too much this week. Good stuff. Moving swiftly on, let's have a think about news and rumours. And there's some new betas came out in the last week. Yeah, and I think we've largely got news in here. So yeah, we've got some new beers. Yay. iOS on the phone and the watch and the TV all seem fine. But I think they've got to a really good point and, and the engineering there has gone really well. I don't know if that's because there's not masses of change, but it just feel really solid this year. And then Stage Manager on iPadOS seems a lot more responsive. But equally at the same time, they've now said that iPadOS won't ship with the iPhones. It will now come out as a 0.1 update later, which speculation says it's going to be October when new iPads get announced, which I think is the right thing to do. They should definitely delay it and keep it in the beta train. I'm surprised they're not just doing an iPadOS drop beforehand without Stage Manager and just delay the Stage Manager feature. But for whatever reason they're going to keep it all rolled into one so yeah then it won't be iPadOS 16.0 which is an odd one but if you remember when ios and ipadOS 13 came out they did the same then the new iphones had ios 13 but if you already had an existing device you had to wait like a week but that was when ios was a complete car crash at that point and they rushed to get it out the door i think so yeah i think this is the right call stage manager for me is working really well i just want them to keep iterating on it and just tidy up the edges i know there's been a lot of complaints i love it it's not perfect but it works really well for me and it is for me 10 times more productive than the old way of doing it yeah that's it's interesting you know again i haven't installed stage manager on it. i think this coming back to the strategy though what this is contingent on is them releasing new devices and obviously the iPhones are the first thing that got a ship and they're going to ship certainly not in two weeks time but they're going to ship 
fairly shortly thereafter. That's the big thing that we're doing. They'll have been in production for a while now. Surprised we haven't seen a few sort of more sort of leaks and renders of what's coming actually in terms of camera placement. It probably means they're not that different. But yeah, so they've got to get that. They've got to get iOS out the door in order to get that on. And let's face it, the features for iOS are different lock screens and presumably they're always on display, which probably are technically feasible with the phone that I've got now because I remember Apple showing this the, the screen was capable of, of going from 1 hertz up to 120 hertz, certainly on the Pro Max version that I've got, similar to the, uh, the watches. So it's a fairly minor software update, really, for iOS. They haven't gone for a big, big bang, you know, change to the, the management of Windows in the way that they have for Stage Manager. So I guess it makes sense if you're going to delay something, delay Stage Manager so 16.1 comes out, you can have a decent release. I do slightly worry that it seems so broken that what they're actually going to be able to release for Pro Pro users, and you'd know better than me, is of a quality they'd expect, or is it there's a difference between what they'll release and what people want, which is always two slightly subtly different things that's got to come. So yeah, I, I see the logic. I understand the the scheduling of it. You know the difference between the iOS and iPad OS. And I guess it's the only way they can go. I presume they'll do something similar with Mac OS until settings app is in a decent state. Yeah, I was going to say that. It sounds like the iPad and the Mac OS OSs will ship at the same time. And I was going to ask, well, I guess you are, aren't running Mac OS. So I am. The system settings still looks kind of like the iPad setting screen. Like, I haven't really done much with it. I don't really know where anything is anymore. But obviously, there's a lot of feedback about it of how bad it is. I can see them still pushing on with it because it's going to be really hard for them to take it out, put the old one back in, and then revert back to this at some point. They're going to have to change system settings at some point because the old way just wouldn't scale as they add more to it and they want more uniformity between their platforms so i think they're doing the right thing but i think the problem with system settings is more the design aesthetic of where the company's been going for a long time with hiding things on hover over estates and behind buttons and taking the clutter and ornamentation away but i share i think you mentioned it if you've got a 27 inch screen why does it matter if you've got a few more icons on the screen why are they trying to hide everything and go for the minimal look? I, I think they need to lean in that the Mac is for professionals generally and people want icons. They want to be able to see where they click and not have things hidden. They need to start working out why the Mac is different than the iPad. Now the iPad's going to get window in. And maybe that's the first one. It doesn't need to be as clear and clean as the iPad. It is going to be a more cluttered interface because it's serving a different market, generally with much bigger, higher resolution screens. Yeah, I think you're right. And as I sit here looking at my, you know, MacBook Pro here, I've got ports on this thing. I haven't had on a laptop in years. You know, they're they're they've gone, they've taken a step back from the simplicity thinness thing, and they've gone for a little more functionality. And I think they need to bring that aesthetic to the operating system as well. We've lived with system sets, system preferences as was, and still is on my Mac at the moment, as you said, for years and years and years and years. So, you know, going back to I think the original Mac OS. In fact, you know, I think it was in System Eight as, as system preferences or system settings. So, it's it pushing it back till you know the, a point one release or a point two release isn't the end of the world. I agree with you. There's some odd choices being made in terms of UI, both on iPad OS, iOS, and particularly on Mac OS. This habit of showing disabled looking text, grayed out, dark, light gray text that doesn't look like it should be clickable, and then it actually being clickable and so, you know being part of the interface baffles me entirely. I don't understand why you would, you know, make something that is a clickable functional button and then make it look like it's not because that's the system behavior of a non-functional button, and that sort of choice to go that way with the design seems to becoming quite endemic across the across the devices oh, i completely agree it's 
the interface is getting less and less obvious and they need to knock that on the head and, and just go back to bit back to their roots you know maybe not bring back the pinstripes but you know what i mean just make things about and make it much more intentional interface like i say you've got if you're building it for what a 12 not even a 13 inch screen is your smallest screen people are going to have it's usually got a high resolution you've got plenty of space to do it mm. and it's kind of the same i was thinking about this the other day with the icons obviously all the icons are now the the iphone rounds rectangles that you get on the mac i was looking at a windows to windows 11 device the other day that a colleague had at work i thought all the icons look a bit better they're all different shapes they look like the mac used to be and what we liked about the mac and it feels like they're losing some of the character yeah, I, I, I saw a, a, an article, and I should have bookmarked it really for the show notes the other day, about how we as Mac users used to mock Windows 8 users about having the schizophrenic operating system, where some of it was the old Windows classic, Windows NT looking you know, background. As soon as you'd go into disk management or something like that, you'd see the old school one. And then you'd have a certain amount of, I think it was called Metro at the time, the front end sort of more touch-friendly interface for, for the rest of it. And, you know, oh, your setting screen is fine until you need to do this and then you need to break into the old operating system. And it feels like we're trapped in that between the iOSification, iPadification of, of, of macOS and then the bits of it that are still under the skin that are, are old school. And I understand it's a transition from one to the other. But to me, we're missing the quality on both sides of that. We're missing, we don't have the full iOS, fully thought out, simplistic side of it. And we haven't got rid of the complexity that's required of a desktop operating system. It's not Chrome OS. It's not iOS, it's macOS. And, and it bothers me that it's falling between two stools, really. Yeah, but I'd love to see what their five-year strategy is for the Mac, where, where they're going with it on, a, on the software side. And that's design and functionality. If, are they going to keep stripping more and more back? I, I don't know. I think they've gone too far with it, like you say, with the, like they did with the hardware, they're doing it with the software. So they've got to find a better balance. Yeah, they do. They need to bring... I, and uh, you've touched on this before in previous podcasts, this incessant desire to release new things every year, every year, every year. I think it's time to stop and get the quality sorted out. And maybe not even just for one year. They may need to do it for two years just to figure out all these bits and pieces that aren't, you know, they're, they're not hanging together. There's no quality between the apps or even inside of the same app sometimes. And that's true on, on all the platforms again. So I think, let's face it, with the exception of, of of widgets and stuff on on the phone and you know the, the stage manager on the iPad, there's nothing that crucial this year, is there? there? There was nothing announced really there that we couldn't have had a year of of software update, or just quality patches, and we'd have understood it having come through COVID and all the rest of it. You know, things things get delayed. They haven't got the staff. They're not able to get people back in the building to do it. You know, people are are realizing they want to work from home. There's all sorts of, and it would be a good time to do it. And they seem to be pushing ahead regardless. Yeah, I agree. And I'm the person that always wanted new updates and more and more and more. But I think I have reached a point now where can I just slow down a little bit? Why couldn't we have just had iOS 15.7 announced and not 16? And maybe the iPad did need to move on a major version because Stage Manager is huge. But maybe the other platforms didn't. And we just need that year where it's just point updates. Yeah, I think mm. if, if they had paused it for a year and just fixed all the complaints we've had about it, would we really have minded if they'd called it, you know, uh, I don't know, Mac, Mac OS sub Monterey or, or something like that? You're not going to get a snow leopard anymore. But I think we'd have been quite accepting of it. And they could even have called it iOS 16 with just, oh, we're just tightening everything up and making it better. I think users would have been accepting of it. Your average user wants to send a text and look at the web or get on Instagram or whatever. doesn't care what's running under the hood. It's about the app. It's not about the platform. I completely agree. I think they could have done something different. And they did, like with iOS 14, I think it was, they were like, we're supporting all the same old phones, but we made it loads quicker. So I think there's a whole bunch they could have done. 
they just need to slow a little and you can see organizations are moving away from this like two year re- yearly release of major systems or platforms they run a, you know, like crms and what have you and the erps and they're going actually twice a year is too much we're actually going to move back to once a year that that seems like a better cadence and i think with an os i think once a year is too fast you need once stable because you just get used to the new one and then you're and then it's, you're back to wwdc and you get ready for the next one yeah yeah it's 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 too fast i agree it is too fast anyway let's see what comes we know we've got a few changes and point releases and stuff to happen for the future and we'll keep an eye on it good moving along and this is a sort a story i don't know a lot about i don't really understand the differences particularly so maybe you can explain it to me a bit chris apple says 95 percent of icloud users already have two-factor authentication i understand that bit enabled the head of the passkeys launch. I really don't understand the passkeys part of this yet. I don't know a huge amount about passkeys, but I just thought it was an interesting stat that they had such a high percentage of 2FA on their iCloud accounts, considering how many people have got iCloud accounts. I thought hitting, I think you said 95%, is amazing. So how have they managed to do that? Because I know I've done it, and I've obviously set it up for various members of my family, but I'm amazed that they've got such a high high success rate of having mfa 2fa so 2fa sorry so 2fa is two-factor authentication it's having a secondary key to your device so typically security should be something you have so a key and something you know a password so that's the point of having 2fa and lots of apps have started introducing this google mail requires you to authorize something in in its email at work we have a number of qr code based seeds which will fire up two-factor authenticator apps on your phone so you get a six-digit passcode that rotates it used to be back in the day you'd get something like an rsa token that you would would actually have a, a physical device with its own seed key on it that would count down we used to use them to access the nhs back in the day and you get yubi keys as well which are physical hardware devices you, you issue to a user that have got a fingerprint or, or or similar on them you put them in a usb port and you've got to touch that and it generates your two-factor authenticator and lots of apple devices make use of these things to do it so to sign into your email or when you get a new apple device you sign in a website that's locked down with a with an icloud or, or similar then often it will prompt you for two-factor authentication and you've got to allow it on a device and depending on what devices you're signed into it'll show up on your phone or your mac or your ipad i've never had one on my apple tv but all, all one of those things do it so it's good that they've got this sort of penetration of two-factor authentication it is more secure we'll talk about the plex hack later and the fact that you know that you know just having a username and a password really isn't good enough in most cases these days but it's the 95% surprises me. I look at lots of people who've got iPhones and things around, including my own family. And I think I may be the only one who's got two-factor authentication set up. For the rest of them, it's too much hassle. Uh, and that's the thing. And we've certainly seen that in our office where we went MFA a couple of years ago. And people are going, why does it prompt me all the time to have, you know, to, to re-authenticate whatever? And it's like, because we need to know it's you. And if I gave you my username and password today, it wouldn't really matter. Is, is how I explain it, because you wouldn't be able to do anything with it because you still need me to approve it, and that's why we do it. So the reason 2FA, though, is important for passkeys, as you were saying at the top, was passkeys is coming in iOS 16, iPadOS, uh, macOS, etc. and passkeys are something that they're looking at doing to replace having the need for, for a, a, a username and password, and you just have a passkey that's stored on your device, and it logs you in. And so you you don't actually then need to have a username and a password and starting to move away from that old concept. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. I'm curious to know on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm just conscious. I'm curious to see how it works and how many organizations will start supporting passkeys. I, like I said, I haven't played with it yet. I haven't seen anything pop up. I'm surprised like the Apple developer portal 
hasn't popped up as a way of testing pass keys is a would you like to convert your account to pass keys you've still got your username and password as a you know as a garage jail card if you need it so yeah interested to see yeah it's surprisingly conservative isn't it if you think of they're pushing developers to start using them and building them to their apps for something to make use of and there's a lot of you're, you're going to have to bring them out into Muhammad, I think, with people. This if they haven't got a hundred percent of people using, you know, two factor yet, and we know a hundred percent of people don't use one device to log in. Most people just use one password to log in, not one password the app, but just password one two three or whatever it is that the you know the the, the users are their trusted source of passwords, or they use that to unlock their password manager if that's the case. But the the, the shift to pass keys and having a device is great. We know that Google and Microsoft have been and Apple have been talking together about what happens if you change device. So that bit seems okay. But again, the rubber has hit, hasn't hit the road yet. We don't know what this is going to look like. What happens if you lose your device? What happens, you know, all the contingencies that need to be happening as, as part of passkeys, I think, are still to be answered. So we really need those first few things to sort of start adopting it to see how it, how it, well it works. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just to see the, yeah, the real world of it. Oh, I've lost my iPhone. What happens? Well, am I going to be all right with my iPad or my Mac or whatever it is because I've got a subsequent device? I'm curious to see how all this is going to play out. Yeah, it wouldn't be hard to think of a scenario like my car unlocks my phone. Yours does too. You know, So you go out, you drop your phone on the road, you smash your iPhone there by the side of your car, and then you're locked out of your car. You don't have your wallet. You don't have your COVID pass to get back in your hotel or whatever else it is. So it may be that if you've got an Apple Watch that potentially it could work in there, but not everybody's got an Apple Watch. Your runner might have a Fitbit or a Garmin, as we've discussed before. So what's the contingency there that you're standing in the rain getting increasingly wet at one in the morning trying to get back from dropping somebody at the pub or something and you're trapped at the side of the road unable to get in your car? I mean, there's the, 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 stuff like that is no, difficult to answer. I, I agree with what you're saying, but it's no different than if you lost your physical key in the olden days. I actually prefer the digital key because I've now got two two car keys for my car in one time, generally my watch and my phone. So whereas in the old days, I just have the physical key or the zapper. So actually, I think the digital key is better for that, as long as both my watch and my phone don't bomb out at the same time. I mean, to slightly answer my own question, with the Tesla at least, you can go to a web browser, log in, and pop, pop the lock you know, with, a, with the user's account. And But that would presumably be passkey controlled as well. And if I've just smashed my device for the passkey, I can't do that either. So yeah, there's still a physical key somewhere. I could go back and get it and leave it. You know, but it's 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 just a, a ridic- over, it's an overly ridiculous scenario. But just to think about... It's bad enough now with passwords and two-factor authenticators, and we're reasonably security conscious. I wonder what it's like for the average Joe Schmo who doesn't understand the repercussions of moving all of his stuff into passkeys and what that what the get out of jail free is, as you've said, is like. Yeah, and what happens if you only have one device? I have no idea how that works, and how do you do recovery if you've lost the passkey? So, lots of unanswered questions lots interesting though watch this space and just to sort of finish off the thought on this we've linked to an article in 95 mac about this and there's a second article linked to a couple of days before just saying that from an enterprise password management sort of blog that they also run on 95 mac about the people are still going to need apps like one password and LastPass because the enterprise is, is you know that your trusted device for the enterprise may not work in the same way and all the sort of authentication that works around that so I, i'm a bit skeptical about this because a it's sponsored by collide who do sort of device management on the behalf of enterprises and they're probably a bit worried about this but you know not having seen how it's going to go so and then there's a phrase in this that sort of really stood out to me where they say, let me get the right quote, as organizations continue to move away from Active Directory as the single login system, 
Really? Is that a thing? Are people moving away from Active Directory? We are moving away from on-premise Active Directory, but we have Azure Active Directory. And Active Directory is just where your usernames and passwords are stored, in essence, to log into your corporate Windows world and your address book, in essence. So we have it. We just got like the newer version of it. And we are very much promoting single sign-on. And that's where you use your one work account to log on to all work properties, whether it's the CRM system, the holiday booking system, the intranet. So we're not going away from any of that. I do get a bit cheesed off with Microsoft though because they've got an authenticator app which you can use for your 2FA bit that we've been discussing it's also got a password section in it but the password section you have to create a personal Microsoft account to have it to sync all your passwords you can't just have it log in with your corporate Microsoft account if that makes sense whereas if you could use your corporate one we would then be able to give everybody in the organization a password manager for all their corporate stuff like wouldn't that be great but you just can't can't do it yet there's no good way of doing corporate unless you give everybody one password, which we haven't done because it's cost prohibitive. It would be great to do it with Microsoft. Yeah, so the university, I think, is similar. We have the Azure-based you know, Active Directory for all members of staff. It's a single sign-on for any sort of university-based properties, websites, staff management, purchasing systems, all that kind of stuff. Teams are all built into the... You know, we don't all make use of all these applications, but you know, the university has done this. But back to the point, there's still an Active Directory, whether it's based in the cloud or it's based on-prem. You know, you've you have got some sort of Active Directory thing ongoing out there. So it just seemed a slightly ridiculous statement for, you know, this kind of blog to make that it's going to go away because there's still got to be a single point of reference for these kinds of things to authenticate who you are. And be that your provi- email provider, Outlook.com, rather than your you know than, than your work-based provider or something or Apple.com. You know, it, it still exists that proof of identity. So maybe that will happen, but it seems a bit premature. Yeah, and I think, as you say, though, the article is maybe a little bit biased. So not a big big surprise there, I think. Yep, good. Okay, just a thought. Moving on, I don't know how much we want to talk about this, really, because we're probably going to spend all the next week's show doing it in, in, a, in a bit more detail. But an Apple event has been announced. Yeah, okay, well, that, that's a good idea, actually. So why don't we just say Apple have announced they've got a new event on the 7th of September and likely to be iPhones and watches, possibly AirPods, and obviously iOS 16 finally were launched the only bit i put in there was i'm hoping they're going to tell me when i can start buying some home kit matter thread enabled stuff because i've kind of been holding off on doing anything around the home until this new matter standard came, comes out that you and i discussed previously so that, that, that's just one thing i'm looking forward to can you just signpost that now is good and i need to look for this logo on the box or whatever it may be so i know i'm buying something that's a bit more future proof because i don't buy something today that isn't really going to be compatible longer term so that was what I was going to say on that one. No, I think it's fair. I will, for the, for this week, I think it's fair to say we'll definitely get iPhones. We'll probably get watches. And I wouldn't hold my horses for any of the other bits and pieces within that. But we can talk about it in more depth next week. Yeah, and then uh, there might be a bit more news and rumors around it by then. Definitely. Okay, good. We'll pause that. So next story, and this is almost verging into rumor, actually, on the Department of Justice, which is a federal government agency in America and Apple. And the headline of the story is the feds are thinking about an antitrust thinking about an antitrust case against Apple. And the, the sort of quote from the article is the Department of Justice is in the early stages of drafting an antitrust case against Apple, alleging that the company has abused its market powers to stifle smaller tech companies, including app developers and competing hardware makers. So it's not a filing, it's thinking about a filing, which is a different thing. But I think you'd find it quite hard to disagree that it's abused its market power to stifle smaller tech companies and app developers. Yeah, I mean, the writing's on the wall there, but are they really going to go after this? Yeah, well, the EU have, haven't they? 
Yeah, I guess so. So I, I don't know. It's a bit odd though that they're thinking about it. Is this leaked for a reason, or I don't know? Surely, usually you hear about these sort of cases where they don't want it to leak because they want to have the element of surprise or something. I don't know. It just seems a bit odd to me. Yeah, I did find it a little bit. I think it's worth talking about because you think of something like Donald Trump's house getting raided by the feds at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. You know, there was a reason for that. There were documents. We got an affidavit and a, an injunction or whatever it is you know, get in America, a warrant effectively to go in and seize documents. If they're going to file a thing, surely you just file a thing. You don't say, I'm thinking about filing a thing, unless it's genuinely a political move for Apple to go, right, next time you do an event or next time you release Xcode or next time something comes along, you have to start addressing this or we will do this. I mean, it could be that kind of pressure. Yeah, that's fair. And I think they are, in Apple's way, very slowly addressing things. And it does feel like they are making slightly different decisions, but it's it's very glacial, the pace they're moving at. Yeah, there was another story that we've forgotten to put in the show notes and discuss this week about potentially being allowed to del- delete Apple Wallet on some devices in some future version of iOS. That could be a sign of a very slow transition, but you think you shouldn't be allowed to delete it, or maybe you should be allowed to delete it, without there being an alternative. So, you know, that that, I, that sounds like an odd story. I, it's, an, it's an odd way of going about this, really, isn't it? If you're the federal government or you're a governmental organization, you don't need to work in terms of rumors and sort of nudging and all the rest of it. You just do it, don't you? Yeah, no, I understood. So I agree with you on both points. I think one, yes, if they're going to do it, do it. You know, if you're going to raise, you know, sorry, I forget how they raised the the word, raise an antitrust case, get on and do it. Don't just threaten it kind of thing or or put it out there just just to see what the feedback is. And then two, on the Apple Wallet thing, I think Apple needs to change its guidelines. So anytime they introduce an app, it can be removed. Even though if it comes with the iOS install, you should be able to remove the app. Obviously, settings, no. Phone, no. Could you remove messages? Maybe. You know, and the wallet needs to be in there. Even if you can't install a replacement, I think you should be allowed to remove it if you don't want to use it. And I think think that's fair. And I think they have to build that in as a one-on-one rather than building the app first and then sticking it on four years later or whatever the number may be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, th- this article finishes off more or less by saying, even if the Justice Department continues the case, it could be years before it's publicly filed. So like you say, I mean, it, it feels like the beginning of something and it's more than just, you know, oh, naughty Apple and, and developers getting mad about it. You know, bigger governmental agencies, including the EU, who's well ahead of the case in this, you know, this particularly if you're in Belgium, you know, have got a bit further ahead of this. But it's, it's interesting that the stories are beginning to come out. So again, it's just another thing to keep an eye on. And I don't think we'd disagree that they have a abuse the power in some way, shape, manner, or form. Despite, you know, for all the loyal Apple fanboys we might be for a lot of the time, I think I'd like to think that we call the company out when they're doing things wrong. And, and a lot of the times for smaller developers and, and, and the development of the platform as a whole, they're doing things wrong. Yeah, agree. yeah, agreed with this statement and the intent, but yeah, they need to come at it in a better way, surely. Definitely. Good. Okay. An interesting little story next on Starlink, which is Elon Musk's internet provider company via satellites. So he has a whole forest of satellites circling around above the planet and they will give you internet access with the right to the right kind of device this sort of it's this sort of dish flat dish which you can stick on your roof and you get you know 500 megs or, or their broadband depending on the conditions and they have signed or are about to sign some sort of agreement with T-Mobile in America to give you satellite broadband and a mix of satellite broadband and T-Mobile broadband so there was a story a couple of years ago about an antenna within iPhones and other phones to be able to access satellite broadband. So I wonder if this is sort of the, the, this beginning to come to light at last. 
Yeah, I think there's been a bit of noise around there for couple of years now of apple doing something with satellites but it's never really come to anything there's also as you've noted talk of it on the watch as well be interesting to see where this goes i don't know how much we need it because i don't feel like anybody makes phone calls anyway i do like the concept though of the sos piece i'm in trouble i'm literally out in the wilderness on my own and i can push the emergency button i might have to pay for it but surely getting billed for it after the fact if it saved your life is a non-event well, I think, you know, it's it's broadband, isn't it? It's not just the emergency calls is definitely part of it. I always used to remember watching the X-Files and, you know, Fox Mulder would get trapped in a, ca- a cave or underground and there'd be a lid shut. And he'd always have perfect cell phone service. I thought that's, you know, that's not real life, is it? Uh, and we, we very much know often that you go out of a city or even in a city sometimes and you, you're really hunting for 3G, 4G, 5G. You're incredibly lucky. Uh, you know, when you've got to make that link or you've got to make that call or you've got to send that text. And it's often, my, my daughter's at the Reading Festival right now. She's defaulted to SMS some nights just because there's so many people in, in the Reading area at one time trying to send a thing. So if you can break out, particularly in more rural areas, to, to satellite internet connections via your phone, that's properly living in the future. That's getting to the point where you can, you know, make calls and make texts and, you know, access the internet wherever you are. And that's a bit of a game changer, really. Yeah, is this an Apple thing, though, or is it a carrier thing? It feels like it, it's a bit of both. You need the hardware and the software, but then you're going to get billed for it from your provider. You are going to get billed for it. And if you're the kind of person who absolutely has to have internet access or call access, then you're going to pay for it. There are people who pay for Starlink, just the internet service. You know, and and have a dedicated broadband connection just so they've always got the failover now. And you can see it being very attractive to businesses, you know, that they can always remain in touch through, you know, hell or high water, because the satellites are always overhead in some way, shape, manner, or form if your if your main hardware connection goes down, and vice versa. So, you know, I think it's a good position to be in, but we'll pay through the nose for such a thing. Yeah, I'm sure. But we, we kind of have the opposite in, well, not the opposite, a different solution here in the UK in that most businesses have broadband and then you have cellular. And they offer this for homes now. You can have cellular as your backup internet line, in essence. So we kind of already have a backup solution at the moment. Well, I wonder how the 5G conspiracy theorists will like all this stuff. They start beaming 5G from the stars rather than from the masts. Next time they burn a mast, they're going to struggle, aren't they? I don't know what happens next. (laughs) Maybe we could get rid of all the unsightly masks and just go straight up to unsightly satellites instead. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you've ever looked at the map of where Starlink satellites are as they they go over. It's an amazing thing. They launch streams of them. So they'll launch like 15 or 16 or more satellites in a row when they do it, when one of these SpaceX things goes up. And occasionally I've got a very good app for my phone, which when I'm not talking, I'll look up. I think it's called Starwalk 2. will notify you for sort of new launches and things. And you'll see these strings of satellites go overhead. So you'll just see dots all close to each other going over you in the night sky if you get a clear night. And then over the course of a few weeks, they'll start to, you know... Uh, bit of delta v they'll start moving around so you get decent coverage over the planet and it doesn't cover the poles so well but if you look at the maps you can actually track the satellites in real time as they go it's really cool that is cool that is cool good okay yeah interesting feature moving on so this is just a little story that affected me plex is the service i use to stream media around my house i think i've talked about it a few times Basically, I've got an Ubuntu virtual machine running that runs the Plex server instance. It's not very big. It runs in four gigs of RAM, and it's got 256 gig of hard disk space assigned to it. But it does 
it does transcoding on the server side rather than depending on the device to do it. So effectively, you always get a decent experience. Be you watching it on a, an old phone from a few years ago, it will transcode it down to make it working effectively at that size, right up to 4K screen on my new TV. So it's a great service. It's great. I bought a lifetime pass to it. I think it cost me 100 quid 10 plus years ago. I, I feel like I talked about this week last week, maybe. But early hours of, I think it was Thursday morning, I had an email from Plex to say that they'd been hacked. Usernames uh, were taken encrypted passwords. Passwords weren't stored in free text, they were stored encrypted, which is of course the industry standard, and no credit card information or anything was taken either. Uh, and that you should reset your password, and thankfully mine was two-factor authenticator, uh, uh, authenticated as well, so less of a problem for me, and sign out of all your servers and devices. So in that case, I had to sign out. I had to reclaim my server, which is Plex Talk for first time you install the server, it sits there unclaimed, you log into it, you claim it against your user account, and it's known to be yours. Plex also has a service where you can hit your server from outside of your firewall. So, for example, in Spain, I was able to hit my Plex server. I could get all my media and all that stuff. It's a great service. I haven't begrudged paying for it. But I just thought it's interesting that they hacked. They were very straightforward and open about it. And that, I think, is the right way to do these kinds of things rather than trying to hide them. Yeah, I completely agree. I think once you know you've been hacked, you just got to get it out there and go, yeah, we've been, we've been hacked. You know, you need to go and reset your password as a minimum, if not set up 2FA, as we've just discussed and sorry um but it is ha happens to a lot of companies so yeah i, I think i think they've handled it in the right way i don't disagree with how they've handled it yeah it is frustrating but hopefully it does encourage people you should have unique passwords for all your services maybe they'll bring passcodes out in some future version of plex do you know what i actually did because i checked my one password I did have a Plex in there. I thought, I don't use Plex. I'll just delete my account. And so that's what I went and did. And actually, I did have a spate of this a while ago, probably about a year ago. I went through and deleted a whole bunch of accounts. of just stuff where I'd ordered something and never used them ever again. Because I thought, I just don't need it. You know, I've just got accounts out there. They might get hacked one day. I just preemptively delete the account. And that's what I've been doing. I just figure they're already out there in the world. I know there was a couple of services saying, like the big Yahoo hack from years and years ago. And I had a Yahoo email account from years and years ago. So... Thankfully, I did use different passwords in every website I go to, but you could understand why it's such a big attack surface for people that you've got this history of sequential web hacks of people's details. So you're getting updated passwords, you're getting updated email addresses. It's not going to be very hard to link people back together and look at a pattern for the way they create their passwords. Oh, we'll try the other kid's name. You know, as a machine learning exercise, it's going to be dead easy for somebody to start being able to calculate what somebody's next password's going to be. That's why you got a good two-factor. I think that's the moral of our podcast tonight, actually, is get out there and get your two-factor set up as quickly as you can. Be, if you're part of the 5% that doesn't have it and has an Apple device yet, do it for the rest of your stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm with you on this. And you know what? When I first got one password, it took me ages to really get on board with it. This was years ago. Because I was like, oh, I just like having the same password everywhere. I'm so used to it. And but 100% is the wrong thing to do. And I went through and I changed all my passwords. And actually, I'm going to go back into one password now. I've got one password eight. And you can look at the watch time and see where you've got any weak passwords or fair passwords and actually start upping them and, and cycling them because you should go for longer, even sentences kind of thing of like three or four long words rather than having something random but i still mine in one password i don't know what any of my passwords are and i'm happy with that yeah i think it's the right way to go i completely agree it's the right way to go yeah 
Interesting. Okay, last news story for us then, and you don't use Slack, but I do at work. We, it's funny, I've, I said our Teams accounts at the university, we get Teams with the university, but we don't like it, so we, we actually pay for Slack as well, which is a far, far superior service as far as I'm concerned, but I'm not going to turn that into some sort of war, just because it's a free thing. Free, nothing Microsoft is ever truly free. You pay for it in some way, shape, manner, or form. Go on. I was just going to say, I guess we're slightly wedded to Teams because we use it for our PBX as well, so it is our phone system for the whole group. And it does it all in one place, which is a feature teams is good and bad but i don't know any different so it works for our organization but nobody in the organization has used anything else so it's fine so the university uses zoom for the pbx we've replaced all of our desk phones with zoom instead even though we've got teams i didn't even know that was a that could be done yeah yeah it can be done it has been done and it will ring my mobile or my desk or my mac uh, not my desk but my desktop or my mac if somebody tries to call me from the outside it works quite well anyway slack is changing its free requirements it used to be that they gave you a certain amount of storage i think it was five gigs of storage and ten thousand messages for the free tier and now they're changing it to keep only 90 days worth of messages i mean if i was on the free tier i could see why this would be upsetting but at the same time it still seems pretty generous to me for a free messaging product that has all the, the features that slack does to give you 90 days worth of storage i think the fact that you're using a free thing they're still giving you a fair bit so i i, I it's a bit of a non-news story as far as i'm concerned you know pay for it if, if, if you value it that much i completely agree with you pay for it if you're using it support the company so the platform doesn't go out because that would be worse if they went bust and if you work in my organization we only keep your ims for 30 days right. we don't want we don't want all that and people go oh no but there's really important business stuff in there if it's important it should be in the project folder for whatever project you're working on not stored in an im that we've got a hunt through should you leave the business or there's a you know any legal case or whatever it may be so it's it's an interesting use of it and i know a lot of companies use a lot in slack but i do find with teams trying to go back to an old teams conversation and find something is not easy and it's the same with your messages on your phone i sent mine to delete after six months i think because most of my messages i don't scroll back through them i don't need the history of chatting to my wife 10 years ago because i don't know what i would find in there you know but you know what i mean it's just nothing of any use can you get you know some bread while you're at the shops kind of thing like why, why do i need 10 years worth of that 100% agree. Uh, you know, there are, there are better things for this. If you if you resent paying Slack, there's plenty of free services that you can run yourselves or you can pay someone else to do for you. The services like Discord, which again, you should be paying for or, or something like that if you're a gamer. There's business-focused things, be it Teams or Slack or whatever it is. Google have plenty of messaging things you can go and look at that will fall apart tomorrow if you want. So, you know, I, it's an on story. I think people are they're being given a free thing and they're complaining when it gets taken away. And like you say, if you like it and you use it, support the company. You know, support the open source platform. Whatever it is that you're using that helps you make your money or, or do the thing that you want to do. And just whinging about something like this is, you know, it's not fair to whinge about. Agreed. Let's move on. Let's move on. Media. Have you been uh, doing any For All Mankind? I have. You talked me into it. I finally got on and actually watched some Full Mankind. I haven't finished it, but I have got up to about episode six. And the story is fantastic. And I love that it's an actual space race. I think that is a genius idea. So I do think the story is really good. I like how all three seasons kind of tie together, you know, because you've got characters that have obviously grown up through the, the race to space and, and the various things that have happened in each of them. So I think it is well done. I do like it. I just need to go and finish it. I'm struggling just to fit TV into my life at the moment. 
Yeah, fair enough. I'd agree. I love For All Mankind Season 3. The the very last scene of the last episode, of which I won't spoil at all, you know, they're really good at getting you with that sort of cliffhanger to get you on the next episode or the next season. And there's been some amazing ones all through of it. But the, but you know, the one I'm thinking of during the space race, which I don't think has happened yet or might have just happened for you, involving two of the rockets and some astronauts, was 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 really quite a thing. I'm desperately trying not to do any spoilers. Yeah, great show. You're fine. We've landed. We're all good. Oh, you're fine. You've landed. Brilliant. Okay, so it's the horrible thing that happened in space, particularly with the poor Scottish astronaut. You know, I was I was very sad about that. It's fantastic. It's so well done. Love it. Just wish I had more time to watch it. So, have you watched the finale? Yeah. And did it work nicely on your new TV and show off all the fancy pantsness of it? I, I, I'm eager, you're in danger of getting a brief diversion of this as to how good and fancy pants my TV is actually. Just sitting looking at the PlayStation's media bar and how bright some of the icons are on that, it's, it blows me away, it really does. And watching something like The Northman, For All Mankind looked amazing, of course it looked amazing. There's another Apple show that's sheeny that I'm going to talk about in a minute as well. It just looks phenomenal. It's making me appreciate media in a whole new way again. I'm really, really loving it. I completely agree. I went back and watched Heat again the other night, and it's just amazing. Like it's a ninety-five film made in ninety-five. They've done a four K release with the director's blessing and involvement. The quality of it, and it's not perfect because it was filmed a long time ago, but it still stands up really well and looks cracking. So I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm all in on four K wherever I can get it. I'm going to have to move one of our items from further down a little bit. Up. So I went away and watched Apollo Eleven, as recommended by you, on the TV. Yeah, that's that's a really impressive film. You know, I should have amazing, um, isn't it? I should have dropped everything and ran off and watched it actually, Chris, when you recommended it. It's so good. But the quality of of the film is amazing. I don't know how they've done it, because obviously it was filmed when they launched Apollo eleven and I still find it mad when they launched the rocket and you just got these people sat on the top of their cars in America, sat around, and you just got this massive rocket launched into the sky. It just looks surreal, but it isn't surreal. Well, I do know how they did it. They found some footage of 65mm film that had been taken and forgotten about, and they built their own scanner. They built a 16K scanner to run the 65mm film through to rescan it with the intention that they never wanted to do this again. So they weren't just going to do a 4K scan of it. They did a 16K scan with a scanner just so it would look the best it could possibly look, and it does look amazing. It's amazing. It's a good way of showing off your TV. It's a great Um, way. What? Sorry, one thing I was just going to say though, the one bit on For All Mankind that's niggled me a little bit is the poor. I think some of the computer graphics are a bit disappointing. Some of the CGI, like the rocket turning on its thrusters or whatever you call them, and it's shooting away from you. And some of it just looks like they haven't quite put the final bit of bit of rough you know maybe it needs a bit of patina around some of the, the panels everything just looks too crisp and it it looks like it's the it's a great not quite finished version you know it, it works it looks okay but i think they could have just done a little bit more with some of the graphics considering how much budget they must have spent on this film yeah i i don't entirely disagree i think they do quite a good job with the budget they've probably got for a tv show it's only 10 episodes None of these actors can be cheap, I don't think. You know, they've been they've been with it for a few a few years, and so many shots are CGI. Even things you don't think are CGI in shows these days are CGI. So 
I think the money just goes. Having said that, I don't think it's any excuse for something that you think, eh, that's a bit rubbish. It, it's interesting. We, we'll talk a little bit about House of the Dragon, the new Game of Thrones thing. And I don't think the graphics in that are as good as they were from Game of Thrones four or five years ago now. So it's actually gone down in quality as far as I'm concerned from, from what we were seeing. And I wonder if there's a bit of that. I don't know if it's COVID related. Could we think these things were made or just that the budget gets stretched even thinner for what actually CGI can do for you. But yeah, there's, there's definitely a bit of that beginning to creep in. Yeah, I yeah, I, I was just every time I see it, I was just like, oh, well, it's I've lost it, the moment a little bit. It doesn't feel quite as real as what it felt. It's an interesting contrast because I also watched Apollo thirteen just because I'm I'm full on my space thing at the moment. I watched thirteen and then Apollo eleven, and in some ways Apollo eleven looked better than the, you know the the CGI shots and all the careful stuff. Having said that, there's some great shots in Apollo thirteen, but the one that really stood out to me was the initial rocket launch, which looks better with the real one in Apollo eleven taking off is far better than the shot they recreate in Apollo 13 for one of the, for a Saturn V rocket taking off. Just amazing. But not to say, take anything away from it, Apollo 13 is a great film with lots of great actors in it. And yeah, Ed Harris knocks it out of the park as Gene. I love Apollo 13. I was just looking it up because, uh, it is, sorry, I couldn't remember if it was in 4K or not, but it is on iTunes. I love Apollo 13. I remember going to the cinema with a friend of mine and his parents to watch it. Loved it. It's just, oh, it's just fantastic. Yeah, great film. Definitely. Right. Whilst we've got media then, you've, you've put Bad Sisters in here. I have, put, I have put Bad Sisters in here. So this was the new Apple TV Plus show from Sharon Horgan. Is it, good, is it good or bad? I've only watched one episode. It was just under an hour. It's got a guy from the Northman. He's, I think he's Norwegian. He's called Clace Bang, which is a cool name. He played Dracula in a BBC TV show. He plays the sort of the North, the Northman's nemesis in that. And he's the, he's the husband in Bad Sisters. I'm quietly impressed by this. It's filmed in Ireland. It's mostly starring Irish actors, including Donald Gleeson's brother and Brendan Gleeson's son, who's also in a film at the moment, who's a terrific actor. He's been in Harry Potter. He's in all sorts of things. He's great. Paddington 2, come on. Paddington 2, yeah. He'll always be the guard to me. I don't know if you've seen the Irish film The Guard. I've seen the trailer, but I've not seen the film. Well, there's another bit of homework for you. You shouldn't tell me that. It's a terrific film, and he is wonderful in it. But yeah, so his son stars in this as well. One of his sons stars in this. Good. Cautiously good. Has the apple sheen. Interesting story. I know it's a remake of a Danish thing, I think, called Clan, or a Norwegian thing called Clan. I'm interested enough to watch the next episode. They've built up enough things there. And it's it's quite a dark comedy as well. It's, It's well done. So yeah, I will watch the second one. Okay, keep watching then. We've got a lot to talk about today, haven't we? We're even at halfway through the show. Like, and then Prey, you've, you've watched it? I think I talked about it a couple of weeks back. This is the new version. It's a, it's a new iteration of the Predator franchise. It's set in Comanche tribes. A lot of it, in fact, there is a version you can get that's entirely Comanche, with, with all the actors speaking it, apart from the, some French sort of trappers at one point who speak French. The version I watched was slightly Comanche, slightly English, slightly French. But if you go into Disney Plus and select, you can have the entirely Comanche one, which dubbed, which actually I think I'd recommend. It, whenever they were speaking English, it took me out of it a little bit, actually, because you know they wouldn't be. It's it's well done. If I think of the Predator films that I like, and I've seen most of them, I'm thinking now, Predator, Predator 2, Predators, <laughs> Aliens versus Predator, there's two of them, and then there was The Predator as well, I think. There's a whole bunch of them. And now Prey, I would say Prey is definitely more towards the Predator end of the scale than the predators end of the scale it's, it's well done nice and not not simple it's just it's it's a good action film where where they use the sort of the creature to its best yeah that's what you want though isn't it i liked predator one a lot i liked predator two a little and i haven't seen any others so uh, but i've not heard good things so i, I don't feel like i'm missing out 
No, anything with alien and predator in the title should be avoided at all costs. I'm not sure when I'm, my view on multiverse stuff, and that was obviously, you know, foreshadowing things that happened in later in life. But I don't know. I don't know if I've, yeah, I've never really been a big alien fan either, which I'd get is blasphemy. But yeah, I've just got no interest in alien versus predators. I don't know if it's that or it's sequelitis because Alien and Aliens are great films. You know, they're they're tr- they're truly good films by two directors at the height of their powers in, in Ridley Scott and uh, James Cameron. And then it went rapidly downhill. Not that Alien Three is a bad film; it's just a very average one. But the subsequent ones have been dreadful. And Prometheus, which I tried to watch, is is an appallingly bad film full of very stupid people. And you just think they're even they're, they're too stupid to have made it into space any of these people what is going on prometheus has been on my list and i'm glad that alien 3 is bad because alien 3 was done by david fincher it's, who it, is one of my favorite directors i've seen all these other films but not that one it's not don't don't go away thinking it's bad it's just not as good as what has come before it and i think it suffers from that there are some terrific performances in alien 3 and it's a really interesting idea and it's got charles dance in it and you can't really go wrong with charles dance in a film True. Anyway, I, I, I'd say, I, again, Alien 3 is closer to the first two, but don't go anywhere near the subsequent ones. Understood. I should watch. I, again, the directors of Alien and Aliens are some of my favourite directors. I should get on with it, is what I'm trying yeah, to say. But, but stop But stop there while you've still got some positive views of the C series. Yeah, fair enough. Understood. Good. Right, okay. Let's move on to games. Let's move on to games. I didn't. I was just going to quickly talk about House of the Dragon, just to say oh, that. So, I, apologies, sorry. gone. Just to say that I'd seen it. Paddy Constantine is in it. I like Paddy Constantine an awful lot. Worth a watch, I'd say. You don't need to have watched Game of Thrones if you're at all nervous about these things that has come before. It's a prequel, not a sequel. So as a as a gentle introduction, uh, as, as I'm saying that, it sounds wrong because it's horribly violent and gory and bloody. It's probably Are you not... you just talking about the birth scene now? Well, there, there is a birth scene. Yeah, I could understand why some people might have issues with it, but it's no more challenging than some of the things that happened in Game of Thrones. So a Game of Thrones fan won't bat an eyelid at any of this stuff. If you're entirely new to the series, you might. I'm only aware of the birth scene because it was in the news. And I was just like, apparently it should have been a warning. And I think I said to you earlier, I'm not sure about all the warnings you get because sometimes the warnings you get on content spoil the film so it's a tricky i think it's a fine line that they've got to walk with all that because otherwise you're going to get so many warnings before you start you're going to know key plot points and what have you yeah i haven't seen it i don't think i've got time for it i think i've got other stuff i've got to watch i don't mind a bit of gore i'm not crazy on it which probably what's put me off watching things like alien and aliens i don't like scary films and don't like gory films i mean the, the premise of game of thrones is i know the dragons and magic in it but it's really just a retelling of lots of stuff that happened in history particularly british history with sort of challenging for thrones and supremacy and vikings and war of the roses and medieval times and yada 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 so if you're at all interested in that it's quite it's more interesting for that and the performances and the music and the sort of scale of the thing as to yeah there's a lot of blood and gore in it but yeah it's a solid restart for me considering how much i hated the last i want to say three seasons of game of thrones they've managed to win win me back a little bit wow and is it still written by christopher nolan's brother because he wrote a load of the game of thrones once did he not if i'm making that up jonathan nolan i think you might be making that up I think it was two scriptwriters at HBO that were the sort of the showrunners for the Game of Thrones. So George R. R. Ma- George R. R. Martin writes the Game of Thrones books. He's the slowest writer in history, which well, that may be unfair. Certainly, his books are all like doorstops. One of the series was a complete waste of time, and this was instead of getting on and writing more things about Game of Thrones, he decided to go back and write a history of what came before, and that's what House of the Dragon is based on. Yeah. You are 100% correct. I have made it up. I was thinking of Westworld, 
apologies, complete my mistake. Yeah, uh, we we could talk about Westworld another time, but I think we've banged on about media too long. So let's let's. You can talk about it as much as you want, but you won't believe this. But I haven't seen it. I, I'm shocked, shocked that you haven't seen Westworld. It's one I wouldn't rush to see. The first season was good; the rest it goes downhill pretty rapidly. We should discuss one week how you managed to fit so much TV in because you are light years ahead of me. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe I don't do enough other stuff. Anyway, moving swiftly along, you've got younger children than me as well. That's probably a factor. It's a factor. Games. I think the first one's for you. Yeah, I just thought I'd put this in here because I was browsing on my Nintendo the night and I saw a game. I haven't played it. It's called The Call of Jerez. It's Juarez. Juarez. Ah, Juarez. Sorry, I, I can't. My pronunciation's not very good. I, that, it was seven quid in the south. Yeah, seven quid looks right. And do you know what? Right on my street, you walk around the Wild West shooting people. Lee led story, quite straightforward, which is what I want in a game sometimes. Isn't just something i just want to follow it i just want to enjoy the missions and just relax and i thought it was very good and i thought the adaptation for the switch was good what annoyed me is in the advert for it goes and it's got hd rumble which i instantly turn off because it makes a horrible noise and it's got touch and motion controls again i just turn all that off but they were the two key selling points of the switch port but i just wanted a game on my switch because i do take it out with me that was just something that you could pick up do it and then pick it up another day because it's got a very simple story, but you, basically what you're going to do is walk along and shoot all the baddies, which is what I want. And I thought it was quite good. And for £7, bargain. Yeah, it's 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 a conversion of an older PC game, I think. And it was quite well reviewed on the PC, I vaguely remember. Apparently, I'm looking at Metacritic, it was the 69th best PC game of all time by user reviews. So there you go. Yeah, interesting. That's, that's not bad, is it? That's not bad. There's a lot of PC games. I don't know if I'd have put it on my list. Certainly didn't. I don't think I like Westerns particularly. Uh, I know I have Desperados 3, but that's more like Commandos than, than a Western. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted a kind of a shooter. If you yeah, know yeah, I mean. yeah. Because yeah. you know, that, that is good on the Switch, kind of like with your Steam Deck. You know, you've got the controllers on each side. You just want to, just something you can just pick up without really thinking. And maybe it'll weave me off my threes addiction. That's that's a good thing. Oh, totally, I, I endorse this. I think you should. It's interesting what you say about the haptics on the Switch. I only really use the Joy-Cons, and I've, I, I, I never remember thinking the haptics were very good. For, for me, the PlayStation 5 is the best haptics of any device, including my iPhone, I think I've ever used. The adaptive triggers and all the rest of it. If you try Astro's Playroom, the feedback you get on that controller is frankly amazing. So, But even at the time and how old the Switch is now, I wasn't impressed back then. HD Rumble, that's what they called it. It's rubbish. Maybe they do 4K rumble next time out. But no, it's rubbish. It's crap. I just turn it off. My N64, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Goldeneye, came with the rumble pack. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, 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 I forgot about the rumble pack. Yeah, which was the first controller I experienced rumble on. And it was it was, it was was quite good at the time. Although if you, they overused it. It had a separate battery. You plugged it in at the bottom of the N64. Weird sort of tripod-like controller. And you'd actually feel your thumbs and things get a little bit numb if you played too many games with it on because the rumble was so overdone. Wow. Wow. I used to like the noise it makes. It just makes this horrible noise of these motors winding up. And, uh, moving on. Yeah, yeah. we better have to move on. So next up, you put studios not buying EA. So that's Electronic Arts that make all the FIFA games, and we've discussed it before. Apparently, Apple has backed out of a deal to buy them, which I'm quite surprised at, given Apple's quite push on games back at WWDC. You could see them instantly buying a company like this because it would propel them into being a big player in the game space, which would solve a lot of their game problems where they are perceived as a company that doesn't understand gamers so i'm, I'm surprised they have backed out of it yeah because it's probably in some ways a bit of a bargain so uh, electronic arts have as you said they have fifa but they also have the dragon age games sim city apex legends battlefield and the sims it's, it's some real sort of high quality titles they've got there 
So I agree with you on one level, it is quite surprising that they've not thought, ah, here's an easy, quick way for us to get into gaming. It'll let us keep up with Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo to a certain degree. Maybe those companies would stop releasing games for the platform, but then they don't really anyway. You know, you get the old you know, Hitman Go and all that kind of stuff might appear on these platforms. So it could be a good jumping in point. It would be relatively cheap for them to buy them. But they've got all the money. Oh yeah, they've got all of the monies for sure. I think there might be a problem with culture. You know, they've struggled to integrate with purchases in the past. And you've got to think a game studio's culture is very different from Apple corporate culture. You'd have to run it as a separate entity, just under the Apple group in essence, I think. You know, maybe you could rename it Electronic Apple, still keep it EA. But you'd have to run it separately, I think. Otherwise, you're going to lose all the culture, aren't you, surely? Yeah, and the culture. struggle with that whole meshing of integrations. And I've been through this in an organization, and it's hard to mesh two businesses together. And what what would be the benefit of meshing it? Probably nothing. Why wouldn't you keep it separate? And just to have them, you know, maybe it becomes electronic arcade for example and they just do all the arcade side of apple's business and they release on other platforms and and they let it live on as an entity but they're in control of it and they start steering it towards not just releasing on windows but releasing all their products and properties on apple devices because they would get all the sports piece and then that would time with apple tv where they're now buying all the sports up so i'm amazed they're not going for it but i mean they are valued at 34 billion so it's not a small purchase and it would be over 10 times what they paid for Beats, which was their biggest purchase to date. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one. I think what you said about culture is interesting, keeping them separate, because a lot of the games companies have been criticised for their fairly toxic culture. That maybe Apple feels maybe that's too much of a thing for them to go and walk over. But I wonder how good Apple's own internal culture is when you hear some of the stories coming in for, for, from people. So I suspect it's probably better than what gaming companies have. But there's still a thing there so keeping it slightly separate is interesting i mean beats is an interesting thing to compare it to because i don't think beats is particularly seen as a unique brand in the way that it was prior to the purchase it's not but they've let it live on i mean you've got to assume they bought beats just to get the apple music piece because they got them to a streaming platform apparently they had one in the canon ready to go but whether it was any good has got to be another question. I doubt they bought it for the hardware piece. That's just, I'm amazed the hardware pieces lived on. I would have thought that would have got all consumed, but they seem to have let it live on and, and kept the AirPods brands going. But you just don't see Beats like you see AirPods, I, I don't believe. But they could let it live on as a separate umbrella. Like, say, so you could have Apple Group. and Maybe they're going to have to do this at some point because having everything under Apple Inc. is that getting a bit messy? Do they need to have separate divisions where they now do TV and... You know, they can start making their own music, uh, you know, having a gaming division and, and so on and so forth. So it'd be interesting. But if they really want to get serious about gaming, sure, they've got to pick up a studio. Yeah, I just said so. This story finishes off by saying Amazon didn't want to buy them either, which I, which I find equally interesting because it's another company with lots of money that's making a fairly serious play for gaming. And yet they've seemed to have passed on it. I mean, are EA going to struggle? Will just a Microsoft end up picking them up or something like that? Or are they really that toxic that no other company wants them? Is it culture or is there something in the due diligence that's come out of, whoa, your numbers don't make sense or you've walked away from the FIFA brand? Is that a problem? You know, should they, maybe EA should have sold before they were walking away from the FIFA branding or, you know, something like that damaging. Is there something, like I say, hidden in the numbers? But they've got all the sports franchises. They've got all the stuff. So I'm, I'm surprised about this. Well, I look at this list of, of the, the, the ones we read out there. I've no interest in FIFA or any of the sports branding. I I, I think we've established, you know, we, you and I play a bit of games, and I you know I've played lots and lots of games. 
I don't care about Dragon Age. I've no interest in SimCity and haven't had for years and years and years since it was actually something that I played back in the day on my Amiga, I think it was. I would love a faithful SimCity to come back. Yeah, Apex Legends I love to bits. I have it on every platform. So there's one positive thing. Battlefield used to be my favorite first-person shooter of all time, but the last, certainly the last two releases have been dismal and uninteresting, and they've rapidly lost a huge community following that was a serious competitor to the Call of Duty games. So the value of some of these properties may not be all that they think it is. Yeah, fair. Sorry, I was just looking at their website. So actually, they they do the Formula 1 game that I buy every year. They do F122. So by that, they did do Grid Legends, which I do like some of the Grid games, but I didn't buy it because it came out at the same time Gran Turismo came out. So their sales on some of these might be a bit dismal. We do buy FIFA in my house. I do like occasionally a bit of need for speed because i'm nostalgic because i love need for speed when it came out i think a pentium at the time donkeys years ago so they've got some good games in there but they haven't actually got that many in there you go latest games it's a bit it's a bit disappointing i'm interested to see what they're doing with medal of honor because i used to love a bit of world war ii medal of honor yeah but again i think that's a dead franchise i think you know the the, the, the huge elephant in the room is the call of duty franchise and for a while battlefield the two stood sort of toe to toe and you haven't Medal of Honor is they tried to bring it back with Medal of Honor Warfighter I think it was back in the day, above uh, and beyond apparently. Yeah, but I tried to I think I bought it because I like you had a bit of nostalgia for Medal of Honor. I wouldn't rush to buy another one though. It was just an, a by the numbers formulaic first person shooter set in a modern setting at that point, and they all were at that point. There was no variety at all. And they did the same with Command and Conquer. They killed that franchise. You know, it was a great property. I've gone back and played the remasters, but I played none of the newer ones because apparently they're just not all not that good. They got Dead Space coming out. Some sports games that what they've got in the pipe doesn't actually look that exciting. So maybe maybe they've reached a sticky wicket where they've killed too many franchises. Maybe they need to reboot some franchises and, and come back. But it's disappointing. Well, it's a worry because I mean it's it's a storied label, Electronic Arts. I I think I've told this story before. I got the game Interceptor for my Amiga when it came out in the Amiga, one of the first flight simulators, proper flight simulators I ever played. It was 3D, it was an amazing game. I played that game to death and they modeled their own offices in San Francisco. The whole game was based around San Francisco and you could fly over the EA offices. So in my head, from being I don't know how old it had been at the time, 15, 16, something like that. I, I vividly know what the EA offices looked like, you know, in San Francisco and their relation to the Golden Gate Bridge from a very sort of polygony flight simulator from years and years ago. So it's it's a bit of a shame, really, that they've gone the way they have. But well, there's a cup, there's some value in some of those franchises, and I hope somebody can do something better with it. Yeah, it's a shame they bought up so many good properties and then run them into the ground. Sadly, shall yep. we move on? Move on. So I put this link in there, but you sent it to me, and this was the DRM anti-cheat software coming to the Switch, because apparently it's a big problem with people getting a Switch game and then making it so you can emulate it on your PC, which is something I don't really know a lot about. I don't, I just not my world. If, if a game comes out on the Switch, I buy on the Switch. So that's just how I am. But yeah, apparently this is a thing. This is a thing. So the, the wider context is digital rights management on, on games and anti-cheat on games is another thing. So in the PC world, piracy is a huge problem. You'll get a new game released to market. Something like Deathloop, which is one that I bought, which is by Arcane. Have you ever played any of the Arcane Dishonored games? They're great. You know, they're, they're very thoughtful first person. They can be stealth them up so you can go at them in an attack way. You can do all sorts of things. But piracy is, is an issue. So De Novo, which is this company, puts in digital rights management, so it's more difficult to pirate. The problem with the DRM that they put in 
as it makes the games incredibly slow, to the extent that a fairly modern game called Humankind, which is a civilization sort of attempt at the column four X's these days, that sort of moving through the genre, moving through history to modern days, fans petitioned so hard and made the game so broken that they actually had to take it out. And I thought it was interesting that you're taking a platform, the Switch, which doesn't have the power of a modern PC and the graphics card and all the bits and pieces that goes with it. And you're putting in something that potentially slows it down. And as you've alluded to, I don't think piracy on the Switch is nearly as big of a problem as it is on the PC. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're probably right. I can see why they're doing it. I, I'm just completely not in any of this world. I just know nothing about any DRM stuff because I buy a book on my Kindle. I buy a film on iTunes. I buy my games on the stores that come with my devices. I just, yeah, something I guess I'm oblivious to. Well, put it this way. On the Steam Deck forum on Reddit, there's a whole thread on how to get Switch games working on the Steam Deck. So if you've caught a Steam Deck and you spent your 450 quid on that and you were so inclined, you could probably go off and find cracked versions or not particularly hard to crack versions from Switch games, it would seem, and get a decent percentage of them running. So if you wanted to play something like Metroid Dread, it's probably relatively straightforward to do so. And you've got the right style console to play switch games on so yeah not surprised okay but interesting again i think the 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 platforms and the and the things that they pick to make these things better so de novo in this case aren't necessarily going to be in favor by i mean if you fire up splatoon 3 when it comes out and it's 40 percent slower because of you know the software that's running in the background you're probably not going to be terribly impressed yeah the switch doesn't have overhead for this kind of thing that's that's what appealed to me, not what interested me about the story more than anything else, is that the repercussions on, a, on an underpowered console to begin with, that, it, it, you know, it could be dramatic. Yeah, that's true. I'd be interested to see how, how they roll it out and is it going to impact everybody. Yep, good. Okay, we've talked about games for an awful long time this week, so let's move on and do a, a relatively rapid main show. Yeah, let's do it. So I was talking to you about this in the week. I'm trying to work out how I should take notes. So I attend a lot and lot of meetings. I'm sure you do, and a lot of people working from home do, whether it's working from home and you're online or whether it's being in the office. And I take notes in different ways. I've got um, a field notes book, and I take notes in that. And it's nice and small, and I you know, I just sketch down my thoughts. And then I do use it some other notes for, for meetings coming up of points I want to raise. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. How should I be doing this? And I wondered how others do it should i carry on with my piece of paper that's worked quite well for me for a few years but i'm I'm the it guy should i be more digital with it so i've been reposting my ipad mini that i used to use for teams calls which i don't need anymore for teams calls because my ipad now works with multi-screen so i can have teams on my ipad and then use my monitor to do work at the same time or call up emails or things i need to reference but i was like what is a good way of doing meetings do i carry on with my piece of paper do I use my iPad and use an app on it? My iPad mini, that is, with my pencil, which I've got. I've got all that stuff, and I can go and buy an app. That's fine. Or do I go and get a different piece of hardware that is dedicated to it? And I've been looking at a few options there. And you know what? I'm like, I always like to spend a little bit of money and get a toy to play with. But I don't want to go and buy something that I don't use. I'm happy to buy something that I use all the time. And that's kind of where I got to. And then I thought, well, I'll just sound you out and see, see what you do. So at the moment, for clarity, what I do is I use my field notes, a bit of paper and a pen. That works quite well for me. But it's not the best. You know, it works well in the moment and I can refer back to it. But should I be doing something better? And what do I do about meetings up and coming where I just want to collect my thoughts? And I'm trying to get things out of not being in my email. Should I have lists? Should I use an agenda item? You know, where should we go? 
Yeah, so it's been dependent on either having a bit of paper or you know a, a new device that's come along, which sounds fairly similar to you. That iPad comes along, it's got a pencil. There must this must be the thing that I'm looking for to solve my problem, which is I don't take particularly good notes, or I do take notes, I just want to do them in a more consistent way. So exactly the same as you, I've sort of switched around between various applications and modes and all the rest of it. And I mean, I could say at the gate, I don't think a new bit of hardware is going to fix it for you because it's it's the habit of doing it rather than the device that you're doing it on. So you just need to go all in on what you pick. So if you like your paper notes, I'd stick to paper notes genuinely and type them up afterwards or, or do whatever you want to do with it. I don't necessarily know that it's the right thing, but I don't think you're going to get anything from a new device that one of your iPads and a pencil doesn't already give you. Yeah, I think if I didn't have a spare iPad, and it's the iPad mini, so good note-taking device that's quite small, if I didn't have that, maybe I'd be more interested in something. But I think, no, I've got a spare brilliant device. It's worth a lot of money. It's got the Apple Pencil on it, so I've got all the right things. But I've just never really found something that I've really stuck out for multiple years. And at the moment, the physical note-taking has stuck. does kind of work for me. But... It more works in the moment of take, just scribbling down some thoughts as we're talking. And I do refer back to it. In general, I don't need to refer back to my notes longer than a week ago because whatever projects have moved on. But I just think I need to get better about it. And actually would having proper digital notes be better because then I've got a way of archiving it. If I, if I do need to refer back, maybe have something to transcribe my handwriting so that it would be into text. You know, I just, my job is all meetings. That's largely what I do. Yeah. So I'm just trying to work out what a better solution would be. No, for- I- I understand, and I genuinely think so. You've rec- you've looked at two devices you've got in the show notes here, which we'll need to get links for. One's called the Books, and one's called the Remarkable Two, and they're presumably dedicated note-taking devices, which would be like e-ink and and a pen, right? So they're yeah, they're largely black and white. The the Books one that I put in there, which is B O O X, they sell like twenty devices, kind of thing, and it's just like oh, you don't even know where to start because you're trying to orientate yourself in a foreign product set. Whereas the Remarkable Two. It's just one. They, they just sell the Remarkable too. That's it. You buy this device, you can get either one or two pens with it, one either like the Apple Pencil or one with an eraser on the end, or you, and you have to buy a folio. That's quite expensive. The base device is £300 plus £60 for a pen without the rubber or £100 with a rubber, and then plus a folio to stick it in. Now, I may well have a folio for it, but you, you, if you're going to buy it, you need to buy it with a pen. So you're talking about 360 quid just to get you off and going, which seems like a lot of money for a punt. But they do do a 100-day return window, which I was a little bit interested. In. And I've been talking to somebody today who bought a load for his team. And I was quizzing him, oh, what do you find? How do you use it? And he was like, oh, I never use it. And I was like, well, you bought them all for your team. Surely if you're buying something for your team that you believe in, you should at least dog food it yourself. So I don't know. I've just been going back and forth on this. And I'm the same with the apps. Every now and again, I go and try another app. And I'm like, you need to pick one and use it. And just stick with it, don't you? That, that That's kind of thing. And I'm kind of the same with to-do apps and list apps of where do I put that? So my world, I've got my email and that doesn't change. That's got to be Outlook because we set that at corporate level. So I need to be able to have lists of things I've got to do from various projects. And I need to have a way of taking notes in meetings and I'm just trying to work out the best way of doing it. The only thing I think the e-ink hardware device I've going for is a positive is they are disconnected from the rest of my world in the fact that you wouldn't go, oh, I've got a notification, I'll just go and look at that. Because I often find you pick up your iPad, you'll probably get with this too, or you pick up a device and you go on to check your bank account or something. And before you know it, you're on the web looking at Amazon on, you know, buying something cheap or reading an email or whatever it may be. And it's like, well, actually, I quite like the idea that it is disconnected. But then equally, you're going to want to get data off of it and onto your device because you want to email somebody or 
you know, you've typed up a note and, and you want to do something with it. So that's why I've been having an hour And so it kind of led me down the route of, should I take the iPad mini? And, and I've already done it to a degree, removed lots of stuff off it. So I've moved all the media consumption off of it that I had on there. And I've made it very different to my regular work iPad. And then I was just debating, should I take Teams off of it? And should I remove Outlook from it and just have it as a note-taking device? But then I can just see me being in a pinch one day and wanting to put those things back on. So it's probably more about turning off all the notifications and just having it as a very different type of device. And then if I do that, what app do I then go and use? I think I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. I don't think you need another device. I think you've got the device you need to do it. And you're in a fortunate position. You've got an iPad that is going to let you do it. But having another device, particularly one that's not as multi-talented as your existing iPad, is actually going to end up being a pinch point. It's another thing to remember. You've got to remember a pencil. Is it online? Is it offline? How do I get the note out of into what I need to get it in and remember to email it? And I, there's probably good answers to this with the devices. I'm sure they're perfectly good devices and you're in that kind of space. But I don't think they're the solution you're looking for. Because if you fail to do it with an iPad, which it, let's face it is, you know, very reactive. The pencil's very good. The screen's are very good. They're very bribe- vibrant. You can take good notes. It does things like handwriting translation, most of the apps and all the rest of it. I don't think throwing a device at it is going to do it. So I think you should just throw that idea out. Yeah, I think I'm largely there. I think I just like the idea of playing with something different. Oh, totally. I get it. It's a new toy. But there's plenty of new toys in, in the world of note-taking apps. And I'm trying to think of the best way to go through this because I've tried lots of note-taking apps. And I'm in exactly the same position as you is that is this going to be the thing that will push me over the edge and, and, and fix my what I perceive as a bad habit? Having said that, do you still get your work done? Probably. You're just trying to be a bit more efficient than all the rest of it. So it's it's, it's optimizing what you do rather than trying to, you know, just fix a, a real serious problem that you've got. Yeah, I think there's two things here. There's one of, I should take better notes in meetings, just so I've got a better recollection of what's going on, because my memory isn't what it used to be as we get older. And then two, probably do need to be able to refer back to longer term notes over time. So I want them in a fo- more of an archival format. And three, I probably do need to share more of my notes with people, or at least refer back to them. Of, oh, look, we discussed on this meeting, on this day, this, why, you know, that's been forgotten in the sands of time you need to remind people what was said if you know what i mean so it's like you need to, it sounds like you need to tell somebody to take minutes in your meetings a little more than anything else there is that but we don't have i don't have a pa we don't have secretaries or staff to do that so we we all do it ourselves so you need an account that's as you've heard it written down so Fair. that means it's me all right so you're taking the minutes for your own means okay so i'll, I'll talk you through some of the apps i've 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 chosen. I don't, these some of these are lost in the mists of time, but I thought, in fairness' sake, you know, not, this isn't app of the month. I'm trying to recommend, but I've been looking at this a lot. So, the most recent one I've been trying to make myself use is a thing called Notion, which is it's not just a simple note taking app. It's a platform that's really a website. It's probably written in Electron or something like that which is sort of multi-talented. It does a little bit of project management type stuff. You can put things into Kanban boards. So, you know, the swim lanes where you've got to do, doing, done, and you can drag tasks between it. You can make notes wherever you want to do it. It's all a Markdown-based editor underneath it all. You can put calendar items into things. You can write things with pencil. You've got various formats of doing it. You can have to-do to do view for home, for your shopping, or doing up your house, something like that. And then you can put things into projects as well. And it's very very slick it's very very well done there is a paid version because there's always a paid version but there's a free version for you to test drive and i found it too much it, it broke something in my head by being too many things it was 
very good at lots of things without being excellent enough at one thing for me to actually get my head around. And I see people use it well who've embedded their lives into it. Somebody else who I've been working with a paper with at work has written their entire paper for this thing, references everything to do, work in their methodology, whatever the results are. And they've got various tabs within it, pages within it to do it. And I'm quite impressed with that. And it's just one paper of many that they've got in there. But it's too much for me. I, I When I want to just write, I've got an application for writing in not a note-taking app. And it was too heavy, too many things for me. And crucially with a lot of these things, I want to get my data back out at some point in a format I can I can work with. So when I talk about some of these other apps, they suffer from this, that at some point I want to leave and I want to take the data I've put in there out. And it's not always that straightforward to do it. I'm not saying they don't do it. I'm just, it, they put barriers in the way to you getting out. And the one I'd throw under the bus for that is Evernote, where Evernote charge, charge quite a high subscription fee. They've again got a slightly, you know, they've got a good quality app. It was one of the first sort of main note-taking apps on the Mac that I made use of in any way that synced well with the phone and the rest of it. But again, it was trying to be too many things and, the, you know, the, the exclusion of getting things back out, I didn't like. So they'd be the sort of first two I'd discount, really. I mean, by all means, go and have a look at Notion, but it wasn't for me in the, in the long run and, and Evernote was the same. So just to clarify a few points. Don't mind paying for something. In some ways, I'd rather pay it's something per year because then you know it's got more of a chance of sticking around. So very comfortable with that. It's not going to link to my calendar because we have to use our Outlook and just the way we're functioning at work. You can't then add your calendar into other apps. So so that, that bit's really dead and I'm comfortable with that. I want to be able to do a mix of handwritten notes or digitally written notes, should I say, and typing. So that's quite important. I don't do a lot of sketching. That's not a big thing. My, my sketches are just more doodles just because for my own entertainment. And then for me, it's got to work on the iPad, obviously. Or in the iOS community, I don't really have a Mac that I use. So that, that's where I'm at. I had forgotten, if I'm honest, completely about Evernote because I did used to use Evernote back in the day, but got put off it when it became all things to all people. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and I think there's better applications these days uh, or different applications that do things a little bit in different ways that work better with my brain than, than Evernote did. So, you know, I'm, when the big long list of things, we'll publish all these in the show notes. I think you should cross off uh, Notability for sure. From what you've Notion. just... No, uh, Notion, sorry. Do you know what? I did try Notion a while ago before you, you've spoken about it. And actually, I kind of reached the same conclusion as you. It just wasn't, it didn't click for me. So I'd cross off Notion. I, I think, as we've just said, Evernote is kind of the granddaddy of these things in a way. It, it didn't work for me. It didn't work the way my brain worked. I didn't, I'm the same as you. I paid for the year subscription for you know a couple of years in a row and it just didn't spark. It might be worth you going back and thinking about it again. Just, you know, if you did say you used it back in the day, the iPad app used to be very good, but I haven't looked at it in a couple of years and the syncing thing worked quite reliably. I do remember reading something from somebody in the early Chromebook days who thought he would be able to successfully switch to Chromebook because it was going to be, you know, the answer to all of his things. They were touch, touch dependent. You could jot on them. You could write things down as you went. And he found the syncing suffered when he'd go back to a sort of more full-fledged desktop computer. That's not going to be a problem for you. But, it, you know, it, it, it might be worth you investigating Evernote again. It can't have got worse, surely, in the intervening years. You would hope it would get better. But you don't hear a lot about Evernote anymore. I don't think they're innovating particularly, which may not be a problem. All you want is something stable to take notes on. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider Evernote, I don't think. It didn't work for me. I think for me, I do want something stable, but I do want something that's keeping up with modern Apple devices. If I'm going to use it on my iPad, I want something that's going to use, you know, support multitasking off the bat and windowing, and, you know, because that, that will annoy me if, if it doesn't. Okay. So I think I agree with you there on 
on Evernote. I think it's probably worth a review. Maybe I'd need to go away, do some homework. Maybe what I should do is download all these apps on a kind of trial for a week, go to a meeting and try out each yeah. one. And then probably quickly rule a few uh, out. I think that's fair enough. But I, I, so let's let's let leave Evernote on the table. Then you should go back and look at it again. I think you should definitely discount Agenda because it is calendar based. And if your calendar's all Outlook and all the rest of it, then Agenda is an app. It's a very pretty app. It's very well written. It's, it's innovative. It's based on calendar dates rather than note taking. You may have already tried it, but that'd be one I'd, I'd strike off the list as well. Agenda is good for me for one thing that I use it to think about a future meeting like my board report, what bullet points are in it. And so I do use it a little bit for that, but it's never stuck. Right, so I cross it off. So And it's less about using a pencil. Yeah, so Notion is gone and Agenda is gone. I'd leave Evernote for now. I'm looking through my list here. So one I, I quite like and almost got me, uh, but it may not work for you, is called Obsidian. And it's more keyboard focused. I don't even know actually if it does uh, pencil input particularly. So it might be worth, you may be able to discount it very, very quickly. What I liked about it was the ability to, I'm going to start writing a, a bulleted list. Oh, I need, actually my, this bulleted list is far more detailed. It, does, it deserves its own notes. And you could very quickly through a, a keyboard shortcut, launch a linked note to the one that you'd started. So you'd sort of end up with your own sort of internal Wikipedia almost, where you could you know refer back and forth quickly jump to the other note and add to it. And it, it was almost there for me. I know Vitici is a big fan of Obsidian. If you listen to any of his podcasts, we were talking about him in the, the way of turning off center stage last week. But you can automate an awful lot with it as well if you're into that kind of thing. But as a straightforward keyboard-focused markdown, I'm big on my markdown, a writing tool and note-taking tool. Obsidian worked quite well. I, I, I need to revisit Obsidian as well because I was quite impressed with it. But I don't know about the pencil input for you. So... Markdown is less of a deal breaker for me just because I generally send an email or I write a PowerPoint Word doc or an Excel doc. I don't really do a lot of long form writing that then that I would be happy to do in Markdown and then convert to something to send on. That's just not not my world, if that makes sense. But that is the point of Markdown is it, it's a, it's a multi-format thing. You can paste into Outlook as a Markdown thing and it will support all the headings and emphasis and layouts yeah. and things or to a web page or to whatever else. So I quite like Markdown because Word, I have, I have issues with Word quite a lot of the time. And Markdown is a nice intermediate format that I can paste into Word or I can paste into, make into a PDF and it looks pretty and it looks consistent or the email editor. So I'm, I've kind of settled on Markdown as my default way of writing. I love the idea of Markdown. It's just never stuck with me because it's just not used in our organization. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'm, I'm looking through my list here. Similarly, then, I'm going to cross Typora off this list for you because it is a Markdown editor more than a note-taking app. I don't think it fits the bill at all. So I'm just going to take that out. I think it's Mac as well. Possibly. All right. That might be an entirely bad one. So let's take that off. There's one I'd never heard of, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, I, I write quite a lot in it sometimes as well when I'm, I'm swithering between applications and all the rest of it. Typora makes things look quite pretty. Maybe you're more of a Mac user. So let's discount that as well. So I'm looking through my list here that, I, that we came up with. So Obsidian is worth a look. There is good notes. So I put this in there yeah. because this is probably the one that has stuck the most for me because you open it up, you see a bunch of notebooks, you tap on the notebook you want, you start drawing, it looks like a piece of paper. It's got some great tools in it. And it's probably one that I've used the most for the longest period. Okay, so I think due diligence, I'll download GoodNotes and I'll go and take a look at it, see if it sticks for me as well. If we're gonna go out, actually out and review these properly. It does look like it's got the mix. This looks like the kind of thing that Apple would have de demonstrated in one of their sort of corporate videos, get on and use the iPad type thing as I, as I look at the website. 
They should do. It's fantastic. It's a really well written app. Generally, lots of updates. Hasn't changed much in the last three years, I'd say. Uh, they've added more to it. I mean, it hasn't fundamentally changed much. It, I, it is nice. It's nicely done. And if you want to add another page, you can just put pull along and it drops another page in and you can draw shapes and it will, you know, magnetically, you know, if you roughly draw a square, it can snap it into a square and do straight lines and things. It's got some good stuff, highlighters and things in it. It's the best one I've ever used. Okay. All right. Well, I'll check that out. I'm not sure. There isn't an iPhone version of it, is there? Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'll check out GoodNotes. Okay. There is the app Bear, which is quite a good note-taking app as well. It almost stuck for me too. It sounds fairly similar to what you're discussing. Again, a little more text-focused than than pencil-focused. In fact, I don't think I even remember trying a pencil on it. It may not work at all. It does do pencil. I did look, but it said you could add sketches to your notes, whereas I probably want the note bit to be the, the you want, sketch. You want it. More integrated so the one that really stuck out for me is doing this well was notability which i did use quite heavily on both and it does let you do both and it does do your handwriting translation and it will do the things like i'm drawing a square and it'll make it an actual square as something you know a bit more like a circle in my case generally so yeah notability is one i'd, I'd check out if you haven't already i think notability and good notes are the two that are most like each other if you know what i mean yeah. where it's designed to be your digital notebook yeah, okay. And then the last one that you may not have considered is Microsoft's own one, which is OneNote. I hadn't, and I have used it, but not for a long time. Again, it doesn't look like it's changed much. No, it hasn't, but it does a lot of these things too. It does do the handwriting to texting. It does do this, this sort of square recognition. It will let you mix a table next to a drawing, next to a bit of text. It does sync. This is the reason I stopped using it for everything except some internal meetings at work is the sync broke horribly and I couldn't get into some of the previous things. I just didn't trust it beyond a point. So I'm sure it's Microsoft. By the time several versions have come along, it's probably better. But I wouldn't trust it on syncing between multiple devices. Okay, understood. And Microsoft did for a while get a little lost with OneNote. They had two versions of it, one that came with Office and one that came with Windows. They didn't really know what they were doing, but I'm hoping they've resolved all that. And for, for clarity, I only want to use this on two iPads and an iPhone. It is important for me just to be able to check them on an iPhone because sometimes I have my phone with me. I just want to pull up something, but predominantly I always just want to use it on my iPad. Okay. So I think we've got a list here, haven't we? We've taken out, well, we know what we've taken out. We're going to go and look at Obsidian. We're going to look at GoodNotes. We're going to look at Notability. We're going to look at Evernote. And we're going to look at OneNote. What about Bear? What was their decision on Bear? I'm going to have a quick look at it, but I, I think Bear I will relatively quickly get rid of. But I have tried it before. so And I think Obsidian will go quite quickly because I think that's going to be more text-based than what I'm looking for. Okay, I'm going to finish by saying what I actually do a lot of the time, which is I just use Apple Notes. Yeah, I think we all do as a bit of a dumping ground, but I find when I put stuff in Apple Notes, it just gets lost. And what I have been really good at at work is keeping work and home life separate. So I mentioned earlier, I use field notes. In my field notes little booklet I have, which is also got my credit cards in it, it's got two field notes. It's got one for my personal life and other projects, and it's got one for my work life. And I'm very good at drawing the line between I'm at work and I'm doing the rest of my life. And I, I kind of do that with my apps. I use all the Microsoft suite of apps for work things, and then I want my note taking to be separate. So I don't really want to use Apple Notes. Well, I've just got different folders for my work notes and my home yeah, notes. Yeah, I could possibly do that. I just like the idea of not having the distractions, or you know, I, don't, I just like it to be separate. If I yeah, I understand the impulse, but it's also the thing I've got on most of my things, and it does support 
in a basic way a lot of the things that you're talking about that it does yeah the drawing's fine for me it doesn't need to be fancy i'm not an artist i just need to be able to sketch a diagram or a thought that i'm having yeah and and the syncing has been phenomenal for the last two versions of mac os i want to say it has just worked and it synced instantly for it like if i scan a document with my iphone which by the way apple notes scanning support for multiple documents is phenomenal absolutely incredible if you want to do a multi-page thing and you're turning the pages on you know some financial reports or something like that and you want to capture them it works superbly well and syncs instantly to the to your mac or your ipad or whatever else it is so most of the time i end up going back to apple notes and i agree with you it's not a perfect note taping app in that you, my focus necessarily isn't necessarily right when i'm doing it but when i want to catch something quick and reliable that i know is going to be there i quite often turn back to it but i will i think the moral of our story is we're going to go and review some apps. So I think we need to come back with our list here for the ones. And we've crossed out. If they look at in the show notes, if they've still got crossings out, that's, you know, you'll know why that's yeah. there. But the links will still work. Yeah, maybe we do a follow-up next week, just a quick 10 minutes on, on what we found, what worked, what didn't. Yeah, and then we need to schedule six months down the line what are we using. Yeah, what's stuck. Yeah, good. I think we can yeah. call it. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, sorry, we went a bit long tonight. Fair enough, fair enough. We would quite a lot to talk about. And uh, it's speculation next week, isn't it? Yep, speculation on new toys, hopefully. Brilliant. Oh, well, have a good week, Chris, and I'll talk to you next week. And you. Cheers, Rod. Have a good one. Oh, yeah, don't forget, if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. I'd love to hear from anybody out there. And if you want us to review anything or discuss anything, feel free. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Cheers, Rod.